0: Hope Markham, welcome back. Thank you for once again uh, allowing us to come into your homes so that together, wherever we are, we can worship God. Uh, Today we're in Romans chapter 7, verse 24, to chapter 8, verse 8. I'd invite you to open your Bible there. Romans chapter 8 is one of the most beloved passages in all of the scriptures. And today we're really kind of... uh, Bending back and forth on the fulcrum of Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8. Between the pain of our sin and between uh, the triumph of the cross. And in this we see what a life lived like and empowered by the Holy Spirit can really be. Think about your own life. Think about the dreams that you had when you were a teen. The aspirations you had as a young adult. Think about the way that you want to live your life now. If you could have the life that you've always imagined, what would it look like? I've always wanted to travel to Europe. Uh, I like history. Um, I like church history. And I've seen pictures of all of the beautiful architecture in ancient cities uh, in Europe, like the Acropolis in Athens, Greece, and like the... uh, um, Oh, what's that other one? It's the, uh, I can't even remember the name of it. I think I have my notes actually. Uh-huh. Aha, <laughs> it's where the gladiators fought. The Colosseum in Rome? Maybe you've seen that yourself. Um, I've always wanted to see these ancient architecture. But as beautiful and as marvelous as those old structures are, they're kind of a, a metaphor for what the human experience and the life we've always imagined we could have are like. People flock from all across the world to see these ancient ruins, but that's what they are. They're ruins. Um, They're beautiful and they're marvelous, but what they truly were in their magnificence, because of time and decay, it's really lost to us. And that can feel like what it is to live the human experience now. God created us good, God created this world good. He created us in our image, but the beauty and the splendor and the goodness that God created us to enjoy, it feels so distant and it feels so lost. And we see glimpses of goodness and we see glimpses of beauty now, but what it truly is because of sin has been lost to us. Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8 shows the fulcrum on which we can bend to the brokenness of our sin or we can triumph in the cross and a life in the Holy Spirit Romans chapter 7 verse uh, 24 to chapter 8 verse 8 is going to show us what that life that we've always imagined really looks like it announces the freedom we have in Christ to live a life not just that we ourselves imagined but to live a life that's better than we could imagine It shows us the struggle for this freedom to live the life better than we've imagined. It shows us the reason that we have this freedom available to us. And it shows us the experience of that freedom. So let's look at this passage together. Starting at the first two verses. Chapter 7, verse 24. This is God's word. It speaks to us today. And this is what it says. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. This here describes the struggle for our freedom. So what is it? Our struggle to have the freedom to live the life that's better than we can imagine comes from the daily battle against our own sin. Paul experienced this and it made him feel, in his own words, wretched. Wretched. This is a unique word. It's a unique emotion. It's a distressing emotion. It's a pretty rare word in the New Testament. It's only used twice, but it's pretty frequently used in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it never describes an emotion though. It describes the aftermath of war and natural disaster upon cities and towns and lands. Think about what happened in Notre Dame, the cathedral in Paris this past year. If I were going to go to Europe, that would have been one of those ancient pieces of architecture that I would have wanted to see. Notre Dame stood as one of the central tourist attractions in what many call one of the most romantic and beautiful cities in all of the world. But this past year, we saw Notre Dame engulfed in flames. And now, like the Acropolis, and like the Colosseum, Notre Dame is ruined. This is the word that Paul is using to describe what he feels because of his daily battle with sin. He feels wretched. He feels devastated. He feels ruined. I wonder if you feel this. See, everything that God has created is ruined. It's ruined because in our own pride and in our own unbelief we turned away from following the path of life and chose to turn from God who created life and follow our own way which led us on a path towards death. See in our strive, st- struggle and strife to live the life that we've imagined our experience has shown us that no matter how far we get it always feels like there's a glass ceiling above us. And we can never really, apart from God, on our own, reach that life. Or when we actually do get something, it feels like a cheap cheap knockoff. It's not the brand name thing. It's not the real thing, and it wears out real quick. We feel our ruin in a lot of different ways. We feel it a lot in our relationships. The strife and the anger that we inflict on people that we're supposed to love. We feel it in the glass ceiling of our mental health. We feel it in the dissatisfying counterfeit knockoffs of sexuality and of power and of money. When we feel the ruin of our sin, all of us usually respond, we tend to respond in one of two ways. And I wonder which one you would tend to respond in when we feel in our gut, the ruin of not being able to live the life that we want to, the first thing that we can do is we can uh, pretend that it's not there. And we can hide it. And we can act like everything's fine. But in doing so, uh, we're choosing to believe that we can be our own savior. Or we're choosing to believe that uh, the we don't even need a savior. The other way that we can tend to respond, and this is probably the way that I tend to more respond myself, is we just accept that we're ruined. We accept it, but we resign any hope that we can actually ever be repaired. And in doing so, we choose a life of hopeless despair. Which one of these do you tend to choose? Do you tend to pretend that you're fine when you're totally not? Or do you tend to just sink back and accept that things can't get better? The Apostle Paul shows us a third way. See, he admits, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of flesh? But then in verse 25, he identifies the who. Thanks be to God, through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. See, Paul realized that he was ruined but he remembered that he has a redeemer. That shift from accepting his condition, but not hiding it, or not resigning it to an irreparable life, that acceptance, but also that remembering, enabled him to be able to see his reality honestly. And his honest reality was, it's a daily battle against sin. And this is our daily battle as well. Our daily prayer then should be, "God help me to honestly face the battle, not to give in to it, not to pretend like it's not there, but to stand to it face to face. God help me to honestly face my battles. What's yours? The most frequent daily battle that I've faced has changed over time. In younger years, it would have been more foolish behaviors, but now it's come to be more faithless despair and anxiety on a daily basis. On a daily basis, my heart can very easily, just like a train on tracks, be completely disrailed. And it's really hard to get things back on. And I've recognized that I can be derailed from the life I want to live because of hopeless despair, uh, because of faithless despair. Because what I want is I, in my heart, desire the affirmation and the approval of others. I want affirmation, I want approval because I believe that my sense of dignity is tied to it but the brand name, real thing that God offers me and the secure love proven through Jesus Christ I can exchange that real thing for the cheap knockoff of the approval of others and the affirmation of others and when I get it, it might look like the real thing for a bit but it really quickly wears down and breaks apart and leaves me empty. What is it for you? I would encourage us all this week to carefully evaluate two things. Maybe you you need to sit down with your spouse because you know they probably see this even though you may not be able to put words to this. Maybe it's a trusted friend. Maybe it's in your small group accountability time. But I think this week we need to evaluate two things together. Number one, what's my tendency when I feel the ruin of sin? Do I tend to cover it up and act like I'm my own savior? Or do I tend to just accept it but hopelessly think that there's no chance of repair. The second thing I think we need to evaluate is, um, what is the daily battle that I face morning after morning and evening after evening? It's right to recognize the battle that we're in. Wretched man that I am, but Paul recognized his ruin, but remembered his Redeemer. If we don't go to that next step of remembering our Redeemer, we won't be prepared to be able to transition from Romans chapter 7 to Romans chapter 8. You'll hear the good news of Romans chapter 8, that there's no condemnation, that, that you are a loved child of God, that you can bury these bad habits. You'll hear it, but it will only go through your head. It won't sink deep into your heart. We need to recognize, I am ruined. But then we need to remember, I have a redeemer. That will enable us to be able to face, honestly, face our daily battles. So now let me show you the reason that you have. The reason that you have for freedom. We, we recognize the struggle. What reason do we have for freedom? And I trust that as you hear this, it will encourage you and build faith in you and build hope in you because we don't have the energy in ourselves. We don't have the ability in ourselves, but through the spirit, as we live by faith in Jesus in what he has done, our reason for freedom is gas in the tank so that we can continue to be fueled for, to live this life, a life that's better than we could imagine. So here's our reason for freedom. Chapter eight, verse 104. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The reason that we have for freedom is because in Christ, you are no longer condemned. All the allegations against you for the guilt that you have done, for the guilt that I have done, all the allegations are dropped all the accusations are silenced because of what jesus christ has done so what has he done well this text reveals three things that christ has done so that we have a reason for freedom to be able to live a life that's better than we could imagine in the power of the spirit in christ we because of his incarnation and substitution we have justification These are all unique theological terms that essentially say Christ is triumphant. The battle is over. The victory is won. And it's won because because of his incarnation. The text says that God the Father sent the Son to the earth and Jesus came to us in the likeness of sinful flesh. God became man, and in becoming man, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says that he was tempted in every respect as we are, yet without sin. He did not give in to the lure of sin. He was not caught by the hook of death. He lived the life we couldn't, and he died the death that we deserved. We have freedom because of his incarnation and because of his substitution. The text says that he came in the likeness of sinful flesh and he came for sin. This means that he came to deal with all of that was required to deal with to set us free from sin. He is our redemption from sin. He bought us back from its slavery. He is our reconciliation from sin. We were disconnected from a relationship with God, but we are reunited into relationship with God. He is a propitiation of sin. Jesus, in his death, satisfied the wrath of God. He suffered that wrath that we deserve. All that Christ did on the cross is now accomplished because he willingly, lovingly chose to die in our place. He lived the life we couldn't. He died the death that we deserved. By his incarnation and his substitution, it results in our justification. See, we are clearly guilty under the law. That's what the law does. We can't meet its standards. Christ did. Romans, or excuse me, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, He, Jesus, he who knew no sin became our sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, when you enact faith in Jesus, trusting that his death was enough for your forgiveness, admitting that you were the one who deserved it. When you enact faith in Jesus, your unrighteousness is removed and his righteousness is credited to you. Credited to you. That's justification. And in this way, by his incarnation and his substitution resulting in justification, we're set free. Christ triumphed. Yes, he died for our sins, but he rose from the dead, demonstrating that sin and death held captive under the law, that none of these things hold us captive anymore when we put our faith in him. Have you enacted faith in Jesus? When you do, your name on the books of heaven will no longer have guilty sinner underneath and under more. It will have redeemed saint. No condemnation. All accusations are gone. All allegations are dropped. You are set free. This is the reason that we have for freedom. But I find that in my own experience and from what I see in the lives of other Christians as well, with all these glorious things that we can get so excited about and that fill my heart with so much fire and joy, though Christ is triumphant, many Christians live defeated lives. And I wonder if you feel like that today. Listen, if that's the way that you feel, this this is what Paul felt. But we need to, in admitting and recognizing our ruin, remember that we have a redeemer. Christ is triumphant. And Christian, if you put your faith in him, you're no longer a captive. You are a victor. And you can live a victorious life. But like we need to pray, God help me to honestly face my battles. So we also need to learn to pray, God help me victoriously stand in faith. And I hope reminding yourselves of these things moves what's in your head, beyond your head, into your heart, so that you can enjoy what the Spirit offers, that the Spirit offers hope, that the Spirit offers assurance, so that you can live a life of vitality, so that you can enjoy a life that's better than you imagined. See, as we live by faith, standing victoriously in the triumph of Christ, we can experience this freedom That has been won in Jesus. We see the struggle for freedom. We understand the reason for freedom. Verse 5 to 8 shows us the experience of freedom. Let's look at this together. It says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But the set the mind on the spirit is life and peace, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Here in the experience of freedom, Paul compares two ways of living the way of living according to the ruin of what's been lost when we follow our own way and the way of the Spirit, when we live by faith in the triumph of Christ, and I'll cooperate with him. See, the experience of freedom happens when we learn, as we began to understand last week, that we need to cooperate with the Spirit. And there are three words that describe the cooperation of the Spirit here. The first is living by the Spirit and walking by the Spirit. And I think these three kind of show the outcome. They don't give us the practical hows, but they show us the outcome of how we can cooperate with the Spirit. It's living a Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 life, living by the Spirit. As Paul said in that passage, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Walking by the Spirit is kind of like living a Philippians 2, verse 2 life. As the Apostle Paul said there, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The first practical way that we can learn how to cooperate with the Spirit is how Paul says that we need to set our minds on the things of the Spirit, rather than setting our minds on the ruin of the flesh. See, by setting our minds on the ruin of the flesh, we're believing, as I can believe, that by focusing our desires on these counterfeit Uh, things um, we can be satisfied in our soul by following our own way and that's the same decision that Adam and Eve made themselves in the beginning but to set our mind on the spirit is to reorient ourselves in the new way starting by faith in Jesus and what he has done a mindset of the spirit describes the way I reorient the desires of my heart and my frame of thinking Towards the path of a lifestyle that pleases God. And that lifestyle is modeled to us in the life of Jesus. And as I orient my mind to, with a desire to please God, with thankfulness in my heart, knowing that He has given me the grace to be free and that I am forgiven, slowly and surely the Spirit guides me towards that direction and my life is changed and transformed. So, how can this happen? How can we set our minds on the spirit? Think of a troop of scouts. I've never done scouts. I did like this little elective at summer camp in the past where we um, learned knots and we had compasses. And I even did this like skit on stage where I was a scout leader. Never done scouts, but I've always kind of appreciated like scout activities. And one of the things that scouts can do is orienteering. Orienteering is like when you set some kids loose in a forest. I guess if that goes wrong, it's going to be like a Lord of the Flies situation, right? But maybe with an adult leader, set some kids loose in the forest, uh, start them at point A, give them a compass and a topographical map, and tell them that you need to get to point B. Uh, No Apple Maps, no Google Maps, no GPS, just a compass and a map. But with those Things They can orient themselves to understand where they are and where they need to go. And that's how we can set our minds on the Spirit. The Spirit is God with us. He is the compass in us that molds our desires to want to live a life that pleases God. And the word of God inspired by the Spirit is like the map that he has given to us, showing the path ahead of us, how we can get from point A to point B. Now, I found in my own life that if I'm going to be able to orient my mind around the things of the Spirit, it takes three things. It takes being proactive, active, And reactive. Allow me to explain. Proactively setting my mind on the spirit means abiding in Christ. Proactively setting my mind on the spirit is that special time set apart every day where I'm in solitude. Renewing my mind by the reading and meditation of scripture and responding to God in prayer. That proactive renewal of the mind and setting my mind is at the beginning of the day, map in front of me, here's where I am, here's where I need to go. Setting my mind on the spirit means being proactive. It also means being active. See, when scouts go orienteering in the wilderness, yes, they start and they map out their plan, but that doesn't mean they fold up the map and the compass and put it in their back pocket and think they can do it by themselves. The compass remains in front of them at all times and the map is close by as well in case they feel like they get lost. This is the practice of training our minds to, as Proverbs 3 verse 5 and 6 says, acknowledge God in all of our ways and he will keep our path straight. As the scripture says, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances A lot of us get the proactive down. Some of us struggle with the active one. I know I do. Because in our task-driven, schedule-heavy, productive-oriented culture, we just want to get things done. And even this past week, I had a great morning proactively renewing my mind in God's word, but I was so focused on getting so many things done that I didn't acknowledge God. And when something came that I wasn't prepared for, man, I just got the train fell right off the tracks. Because I wasn't acknowledging God in all my ways. But when we proactively abide in God. And we train ourselves to actively acknowledge God in all our ways. We will then be able to be reactive. Because triggers come. Triggers to temptation come in expected ways. A lot of us sin in the same way at the same time. But they also come on unexpected ways. But when I am proactively setting my mind on God and actively acknowledging God in all my ways, then when something comes that I don't expect, I can react by taking every thought captive in obedience to Christ. I can react because I've got the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, strapped right by me and fight back when my mind is attacked by temptations and by lies of the evil one. This is what it takes to set our mind on the spirit proactively abiding actively acknowledging him in all of my ways and reactively responding by taking everything thought captive this is not easy but the good news is is that god is with you and you don't need to act defeated because christ is triumphant recognize the ruin remember the redeemer god help me to daily face my battles honestly god help me to stand victoriously stand in faith god help me to firmly set my mind on the spirit and the good news is that when we cooperate with the spirit there's no ceiling to the life that we can live in christ And one day we will be with him for eternity when all sin will be removed and we will be in his paradise forever. We don't have to settle for cheap knockoffs and we can have the real thing. We can have the vitality of the spirit the assurance of the spirit, the hope of the spirit. But maybe you haven't reached that yet. Maybe you're not able to yet get to the training of the mind in Romans chapter eight because you're still stuck in the struggle of Romans chapter seven. And maybe that's because you've never put your faith in Jesus. And friend, we all have been in this place. We all are looking for an image and imagining what life could be. But if we're seeking it apart from God, we'll never find the magnificence of a life that we can truly have. We'll be settling for ruins. But maybe you put your faith in Jesus and you're still just focusing on the ruin and you're not standing in the victory. You're not alone. Paul himself Felt this. Faithful Christians from all time have felt this. You're probably familiar with that, um, that old hymn, Amazing Grace. Even recently when um, our nation was mourning over the loss of lives uh, after that horrific tragedy in Nova Scotia, there were a lot of people, I was actually li- listening to CBC News, and they had a special where they were showing artists online were singing their own renditions of Amazing Grace. And this Christian hymn starts like this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I'm free. We remember those words, but there's another set of words that I want to uh, introduce to you today. Amazing grace was written by an English pastor named John Newton. And this well-known pastor who was Uh, once actually a slave trader, but after his conversion was a strong voice in the abolition of slavery, wrote in a letter to a friend to express how he felt the pain of living that wretched life. Even faithful Christians like Paul and John Newton have felt this, and listen to what John Newton said. I seem to have the desire of walking with God and rejoicing in him all the day long, but I cannot attain thereto. In short, I am a riddle to myself, a heap of inconsistency. But it is said, we have an advocate with the Father. Here my hope revives. Though wretched in myself, I am complete in him. He is my wisdom, my righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Recognize that we are ruined, but remember our Redeemer. The Holy Spirit offers us the opportunity to live a life that's better than we imagined. When we understand the struggle for freedom and believe the reason for freedom, we'll be set up to live by faith and enjoy the experience of freedom as we cooperate with the Spirit by setting our minds on Him. Christian, if you feel like struggling, you're struggling to find that, I want you to know that you are not alone. Faithful Christians in the past have felt that. Week by week, I feel this. You are not alone, but God is with you. So let's make this our prayer. God, help me. Help me to honestly face my battles daily. Help me to victoriously stand in faith. And help me to firmly set my mind on the Spirit. In this way, we can walk this path to live a life empowered with vitality and a hope and assurance that's better than we could ever imagine. I'd love to pray for you right now. Lord God, thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit and the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Apart from you, we can do nothing. But I thank you that through Christ in us, through the Spirit alive in us, we can attain and live this life. Help us to be honest with this struggle. I know it's not gonna be bliss every day. I know it's not gonna be um, um, pure joy every day I know I'm going to feel my ruin but help us to recognize that and remember that we have a redeemer help us to live by faith in the triumph of Christ and help us to set our minds on the spirit proactively actively and reactively so that we can turn our hearts to live a life following the path that you have designed by faith in Jesus with the hope that one day you will make all things new Thank you for this, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.